Welcome to Advantage Over, the podcast for the rugby referee community, or simply those in rugby who want to know more about refereeing. Are you ready? Time on. Hello and welcome to the Advantage Over podcast. It's Keith Lewis here, your host of the only rugby referee podcast around the uh, rugby refereeing world. Uh, We're delighted to have reached episode number 20. Um, And thank you for all your continuing support of rugbyreferee.net and everything that we're trying to bring to you um, from the refereeing world. Sorry, it's been a bit of a um, delay since the last episode. Um, Obviously, summer has hit. um, Life goes on here in the um, side hustle world, and it's been great to step away from both work and some rugby as well, have some downtime. But now, backs on it um, ahead of Rugby World Cup. Really looking forward to heading to Japan in a couple of days' time to be there for the first week of the tournament, picking up um, a couple of games, three games while I'm out there. Um, it'd be great to catch up with um, any of you listeners who are uh, g- going to be out in uh, Tokyo, to Toyota City, Kobe, over the next 10 days or so, the first 10 days of the Rugby World Cup. But whilst it's been quiet and I've had a little bit of a break um, from the podcast and, and other referee matters I've not been completely silent um, and I took advantage of being not a million miles away from um, the location of the France-Scotland game to head over to Nice and speak to um, a couple of the officials who were involved in that game Wayne Barnes, I'm really delighted to say um, will be following this brief introduction um, spoke to him. I also spoke to Graham Hughes, um, one of the international Rugby World Cup TMOs, the um, most experienced TMO out there. Um, so it's really great to talk um, all things TMOing with him. We'll bring that to you in a couple of weeks' time. But as I say I had a really good chat with Wayne Barnes. The audio is not as brilliant as some of the other interviews um, that we brought to you on the Advantage Over podcast, and um, we recorded it in a rooftop bar. Um, over of the hotel that they were staying in in Nice so there is some background noise there is a bit of distortion um, so do bear with us but hopefully the quality that uh, Wayne brings to the chat speaks for itself and you'll be able to to crack through that we talk about a whole range of things I asked in our um, Facebook community um, what sorts of issues you'd like me to um, ask the guys Um, if you want to join that head over to refsquad.com that'll take you to the right place and you by all means join us Um, but I asked the community what you wanted to hear about so we talk about a whole range of things his backstory how he maintains um, being an elite referee for so long probably in his 30, 40, 15 years now um, as a professional referee operating at the, the top level. Um, how he de- deals with the, the peaks and troughs of international refereeing. Um, everyone knows the, the peaks and troughs that we're referring to, but it's really interesting to get his take as to how he deals with that and what he's learned from that. We talk about food, we talk about nutrition, we talk about sleep, um, we talk about his training regime and fitness and, and things like that. And there's some great advice from him for us all to take away from that chat. And yes, we talk about his future in the game and what might happen in November later this year. So do stay tuned. So um, that's it from me um, up front this time. Uh, We hope you enjoy the interview. So do bear with the audio. Uh, We'll be back in a couple of weeks time with more great content. Um, If you've got any suggestions or um, ideas that you want us to talk about, whether it's referee specific advice on particular areas of the game, how to improve your refereeing, um, or I'm... let me know of anyone that you know about there who would be a great guest on the Advantage Over podcast. By all means, let us know at keith at rugbyreferee.net on the email um, or find us through any of the social media channels where we are generally rugby referee net. So great, we'll transition over to the interview with Barnsley.
Joining me on the podcast today is Wayne Barnes, a face and name you will all be familiar with. Um, about to head into his fourth Rugby World Cup, having done 15 matches so far in the previous three, five in each. Um, some more memorable than others, I'm sure. Um, but obviously, uh, a Premiership referee, a pro referee since 2005, um, amassing fairly 218, we think, Premiership referee appointments, including nine finals. So, not a bad person to speak to as we head into Rugby World Cup 2019. Wayne, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Worst places to be than um, the south of France on a Cote d'Azur. So, actually, we first met. You probably won't remember this, Lancaster, I think it was 1998, when you were coaching the University of East Anglia women's game, you'd come up to Lancaster to referee, to, to, to play Lancaster and lined up in the middle, so lots has happened since I think we enjoyed our first beverage together in the Blue Anchor in Lancaster that day. I remember that game, my, <laughs> uh, my best man and I, um, he was a coach, I was just, I think I ended up almost being the minibus driver. Um, we drove up to UCLan, as it was then called, yeah. I think still called, and yeah. um, had a night out. I had to share a room with my then best man, who um, I found out that night had a tendency um, to go to the toilet in the in the wardrobe halfway oh. through the night, which was a pleasant experience to find out on your first <laughs> trip away of him. <laughs> See, since then, your refereeing career has gone from um, all through the ranks to one of the most experienced referees in the world. 84 testing is heading into Rugby World Cup. Um, how do you think back is your refereeing journey? How, what, from starting in the, the Forest of Dean to sitting here today and heading to Japan? Um, I think what you remember is, um, how, you don't remember, you just realise how quickly it goes. You, yeah. you go back to my first game in, in Bream, in the Forest of Dean, when the Bream Thirds played Barry Hill Whoppers. I can still remember bits of that game now. Um, and, um, you know, but you, over those, what would that be, 1995, so 23 years, uh, had some wonderful memories, but more importantly, made some wonderful friends in rugby. One of which I'm going to be running touch for today in Nigel. Um, but you know, you go back to those early days when I started off in the Premiership, the likes of Spreaders and Whitey still refereeing at that point, and Dave Pearson, um, you know, Andrew Small, JP, all of those come through as international referees as well. So you know, you, you pick up some wonderful friends and some wonderful memories in that time. And you were one of the first young referees to come through the ranks there kind of breaking the system I guess of having started the um, low the, the slow progression up through there so you hit the national panel when you were 21 which is a record back then I think it's changed yeah I, look, I, I think people just assume that you were fast trapped because you were young but I refereed my first game at 15 so I'd done six seasons of refereeing yeah. my first two or three seasons I was doing 80-90 games a season because I had the time because I was um, a student um, and so I got a load of experience and the one thing I tell to people who are starting off refereeing now is the way that you improve is by refereeing you don't improve by sitting watching games or playing on your PlayStation um, you improve by getting out on the field so people often think that you're fast track but having refereed probably I don't know four or five hundred games before I refereed on the national panel it, I don't think that's, that would probably be fair I think it's more just said I started young yeah. The same as Nigel. Nigel started as a really young referee as well. Um, but you know what we see now is that the the more kind of professional ex-player turning into a professional referee who are fast track, but they still got a different experience. Carl Dixon, for example, had ref uh, had played 
200 times for Harlequins. So yeah. he'd been involved in 200 first-class rugby matches before he blew his whistle in his first Premiership matches. But he's got the experience of 200 Premiership matches. My first Premiership match as a referee was my first match as a um, involved in first-class rugby. So of course, people forget about Carl is that he also refereed through London Society for a good few years before that. So he didn't instantly yeah. switch the scrum half ball for the referee's whistle yeah. overnight. Yeah, a slow yeah. progression. But we're seeing more and more of that Paul Williams, you know, Nick Berry. Um, but they've just got a different experience which they um, you know, take their learnings from. Um, we just learn from, I've learnt mine from being in the middle on the, with a whistle, whereas Nick and, and Carl individuals who've learnt from being involved in the game. I think those names that you just mentioned there, I think all of them are former scrum halves. You obviously weren't a former scrum half, neither was, neither was <laughs> I, it's the reason I didn't get anywhere. Um, do you think that it's the scrum half that makes the best referee? Um, if you look at, as you said, you look at those individuals, it would suggest so. But, um, you know, you look at the, I guess, the guys who did the final and the semi-finals of the last World Cup, and then even the quarter-finals, if you include Craig Bear in that, um, none of us played scrum half. It just must be, you know, one of those things, Ogel Jupe, Alan Roland, um, both scrum halves, um, the two of the selectors at the moment. And I guess what scrum half sees is, you know, he, he has that close-up view of the breakdown. Um, and he has those running lines which you know are probably as close to a referee as anyone else um, they've also um, got the gift of the gab I suppose which <laughs> is definitely a benefit of refereeing um, and looking back at your career back in the day so you spent a good three years I think on the seven circuit which is a was a familiar um, learning ground for many of your peers on the, on the panel now do you think the, the sevens and fifteen that that's time on the seven circuit helped you become the referee you want to yes, definitely like First of all, you learn about um, being involved in tournament rugby. So, you know, when I started off, it's no coincidence that myself, Craig Joubert and Nigel Owens were on the sevens. At the same time, going around refereeing in front of 40,000, 50,000 uh, people, you know, you go to a Wellington in a full house, you go to a Dubai or Hong Kong in front of a full house. You've got to learn to deal with that pressure. Um, and what it made you have to do early on was re uh, learn how to referee the breakdown really accurately. Now, they're different skills now, and obviously they've taken different paths. Um, but without that, it helped my progression early on in my career. Um, and obviously, the, the speed of the game. So, you've been a pro referee for 14 years now, coming to 15 yeah, years. Yeah, sounds about right. How, how do you train your body to be a professional athlete at that top level for so long? The, definitely, the thing that I've learned over the last particularly four or five years is knowing what your body needs and how it trains. You know, if I try and keep up with the likes of Christoph Ridley and Craig Maxwell Keys to the professional referees and um, to the fittest guys um, on the refereeing circuit, um, my body would break down. But, yeah. um, you know, we've still got a minimum standard of five minutes on the Bronco or level 18 on the yo yo, and I've never failed one yet. Um, so you, you, you learn to train smart. What does your body need? How do, how do you prepare? How do you warm up? How do you recover? Um, and that's what I've been smart over the last, as I said, four or five years because you know, the older you get, the more you've got to look after your body. So, you're a pro ref within the Premiership, so within the RFU network. Um, you spend a couple of days a week with all, all the referees together. How much of that is, is fitness related, training related, and then that, the off field stuff as well? So, um, the RFU you know, invests heavily along with Premier Rugby and um, in professional referees. I think there's now 10, 11 of us. Um, along with the contracted assistant referees as well, an additional four of those. Um, we meet every Monday in Twickenham. We train when we first get there. 
Um, you know, we usually meet around 10, 11. We train as a group. Some of that's um, a bit of rehab if we've had games on Sunday. We'll then review the games um, individually or whoever's been as assistant referee. We then have a bit of a wrap-up meeting, you know, tying up the big key messages from the weekend. Then likely to train again in the afternoon. Stay overnight, though. I'm lucky I live in Twickenham, so my commute is the 281 bus. Um, and then we uh, meet again early Tuesday, train again. Um, we we'll probably then have some kind of professional development session um, and then in the afternoon um, a bit more of a kind of key messages for the weekend going forward before a final training session so we're doing you know four sessions in you know, 36 hours and then looking at assuming you have a game on a, a Saturday let's say what other training fitness wise would you do after that so everyone's very individual but they will um, it would probably be a pool session for me um, and some body protection by body protection, you know, whether that's some Pilates, some core work, some lightweights, and I, and I mean lightweights, <laughs> you know, sometimes the bar is a stretch. Um, but it's about knowing what works for you. Um, if you try and copy other people, and you know, you're trying to, you know, deadlift the same as someone like Christoph Ridley or you're trying to bench press with the likes of, I don't know, Carl Dixon, um, then you're going to injure yourself. You, you work out what's good for you. And we're really lucky at the RFU that we've got Alex Reed, our strength and conditioning coach, who, um, you know, provides me with an individual kind of training regime. So she knows me, I, I know my body, and we work out what keeps us in good shape. So very much a, a, an individual plan. So whilst you've got those minimum standards that you said earlier, you don't sort of compete as a group of premiership referees or, or those 11 of you initially um, of course there's a competitive edge to um, with quite a lot of them you know a lot of them come from a professional playing background but um, what you've got to make sure is that you, you're fit to referee and um, you know as I said if I try and compete with those lot, um, I, I wouldn't keep up first all and I'd end up injuring myself my competition is with myself is to continually to improve to continually to meet those standards which World Rugby and the RFU set me. Can I just ask about food? I wasn't planning on doing that. A number of people have asked about nutrition. Perhaps let's look at game day. Um, again, taking our Saturday afternoon game. How would you as a, as a pro athlete prepare food-wise ahead of that perhaps 24 hours before? Again, it's knowing your body, knowing what you need. You know, some people want to fill up with pasta, some people don't. Um, you've got to, I, I think you, we're lucky again if we've got some nutritional advice. I know that um, I need to eat four or five hours before a match. So tonight's a nine o'clock kickoff. I'll have a late lunch around three, four o'clock, and I'll have a little snack when I get into the changing room. Um, does it differ when you're your AR tonight? Does it differ when you're refereeing, or is it the same? No, I, I, I try to prepare for the same as I would for a ref. My warm up's slightly different just because you're running a lot more linear lines. Yeah. Um, but um, food wise, you know, Nigel could pull a fat lock in the first two minutes you know we might have a dodgy prawn when we're out for lunch today so um, you go prepare the same as you would for um, for refereeing um, but you get to know what what works for you you know if you like a big fry up for breakfast and you have a big fry up for breakfast but if you're fine and you're having a big fry up and you feel a bit stodgy come three o'clock kickoff then you probably want to have a think about your big fry up yeah. for breakfast um, I know what works for me um, you know that not being hungry and main thing is not being dehydrated so you know by the time I'm I'll be running around tonight. I'll be, I'll be peeing clear, and um, by half time I'm usually desperate for a pee. So if people think I'm running off, it's because I, I need a pee at half time. <laughs> um, and 
you, you and I are familiar in two respects that we both got two young children at home, so it's leaning into um, sleep. Um, I've done a, a lot of reading around this. We've some um, thing at work around the importance of sleep for people. Is how much has sleep ever been part of how you operate? Do you find that you definitely need sleep ahead of things? I think we all work better when we feel refreshed. Um, and I think international rugby allows you to do that because you know we arrived 24 hours before in our venue. You know, last night, even though there was a, a disco above my hotel room last night, I was listening to Voulez Vu at um, half past midnight. Um, I think Graham Hughes was up there singing it, if I'm honest. But um, um, when that went off, I then closed my eyes, and uh, nine hours later, I woke up, which was a bit of a rare treat, rather than having someone, you know, who's four-year-old coming to tap you on the shoulder saying, "Can I jump in, Daddy?" Um, so, like, sleep's important, but you've also got the realization that. You know, you're a dad and you've got two wonderful children. So, you know, you, you drive to the premiership game three hours before you need to and have a sleep in the car, you know. You grab a half-hour nap when the kids are having a nap. You know, you work out things that, again, work for you. Um, there's no there's no individual plan, you know. I remember Chris White sitting down and saying, you're, when I just had my first kid four or five years ago, you'll, you'll find time to, to sleep. You'll, you'll find ways around it, and you, and you do. But, you know... I, that's why come a World Cup, you know, you are at your, at your peak because you're, you're sleeping, you're resting, you're training well because you've got time to. But the reality of being a premiership referee is that you're not sleeping in a hotel the night before a game. You're, you're driving to Leicester um, and you've got the realities of the same as the players players have. So you, you prepare as well as you can and you get to know what's best for you and your body. So you, just, you talked about family there, so let, let's just touch on that. See, life life goes on around those last twenty years. Uh, married to, to Polly, the two two kids. How have you found focusing on rugby allows you to do, have that time? Do you need that extra space outside of that with the kids? And that? how do you how do you live a balanced life? And I think that's that's <laughs> you know everyone's challenge, isn't it? Getting the right balance between family work and you know and friends. Um, you never get it quite right. There's always one who gets neglected. And you just hope that when one is neglected, that you pick up on it pretty quickly. Um, thing I'm determined to do is make sure that it's not the family one that gets neglected. And you know, that's you know, the World Cup will be a challenge for lots of people because we're away from home eight weeks. Um, a lot of us are out seeing our family during that eight weeks. So you plan for that. You work with you know your sports psychologist around how you are you going to deal with that. You, you work with your family about how you're going to deal with that. And, you know, it's not just you who makes those sacrifices, your partners and, and your kids are making sacrifices as well. And that's what people probably don't see of what the players and, and the officials and the coaches, you know, sacrifice is that time away from family. Do you have an agreement with, with, with Polly that you work on four-year cycles and, and see what happens next or is it just an ongoing? Uh, yeah, we'll have a chat, you know, um, after the World Cup and see how we both feel. Um, Polly works full-time as well. Yeah. Um, She's extremely successful in her own right, and um, but a well, good World Cup will have a five-year-old and a two-year-old, so we'll sit back and reflect and Lots of life and, and see see what what's next. But um, I've not made any plans yet. My, my contract with the RFU has been extended till the end of the World Cup season, so um, we'll sit back after November and have a think. Just talk about sports psychologists then. Um, let's just have a, a dip into that. How important has that become over the last 14 years to you, to having that, I guess, channel to, to speak to or that help where you need it on that side? Um, 
but I, I'm lucky in that I've, the RFU invest a lot in me, and World Rugby invest a, a lot of um, time and resource into me. Um, and it's not just you know one person who you work with in a team. I've got a, a team of people who help my preparation, whether that's physical, whether that's mental, whether that's technical. Um, you can't do it all on your own. Um, so I've got a, I guess, almost like a, a board who try and help me get better, you know, and on that board is a sports psychologist, a technical scrum coach, a coach, a sports nutritionist, a, a strength and conditioning coach, a physio, a masseur, um, and my wife. Um, all of you both. Yeah, they all, um, they all add, you know, yeah. they all add value to what I'm trying to do is that's just get, get a bit better each game, each week. And, um, you know, people who think they can do it on their own, um, they're a lot better than me because I need a lot of people around me supporting me. Um, and that's just you know, what I'm trying to do is get a bit better. Yeah. As, as anyone in any work of life, everyone ha has highs and lows, uh, I guess, in your line of work, our line of work, anyone listening's line of work, if that's or whatever, there are always highs and lows when it comes to it. It's just that when your your lows are all over the, the internet and all over the papers, and we look back at some of those high-profile incidents over the years that balance themselves out perfectly well against um, nine Premiership finals, three World Cups. How how do you have you developed either is resilience the right word to, to kind of go with those peaks and troughs and get through those tough times? Yeah, I think there's a few things on that. I think you. Um, my aim is just to, it sounds cliche, but just to keep getting a bit better. And, and you do that um, from game time. You, you do that um, usually more from um, your negative experiences than your, your positive ones. So if you, if you take every kind of negative that you've had as an opportunity just to learn and just to get a bit better, then I think you'll, you'll, you will improve. Um, you know, but it's also important that when things do go well you look at why you're going well as well and you you know you say well this is what's working let's carry on trying to improve that area as well so but, but there are negatives there are positives throughout my career but I've learned probably from them all um, and I'm as I said I'm trying to get better over the next few weeks trying to get to Japan and um, you know whether or not people want to you know put stuff on social media and the press that that's up to them everyone's got that right but I'm not someone who reads social media I'm not someone who's um, on social media um, I'm grounded by those people who are on you know that, that board that I spoke about they're the other ones who will tell me if I'm um, I'm I'm refereeing well they're the ones who say I'm performing well there's what they're the ones who will tell me if I'm sitting sticking to my my strategy um, I guess a man of your experience you, you know when you're not doing well and you know when you're not doing well I guess that comes with time and yeah, people who, who, who believe that referees aren't their biggest self-critics don't understand referees we are our biggest self-critics we're the ones who will be harder than anyone else on their own review um, and I, I don't then have to shout about that on social media they got things right or wrong I, I'm, as I said I'm trying to improve the same as the players and the coaches are um, and I'll continue to do that Did you talk about prep the games coming up how much time do you invest in that pre-game the week before an international how would you or a premiership game how much prep would you do at, on the game that you're about to referee is it all about peak physical and, and mental uh, you're, you're, you're constantly preparing your your kind of your strategy and your 
your philosophy around the game about how you want to use a TMO, for example, or how you want to try and influence at Scrum. So that's that's you know, ever evolving. That's not something that you just sit down the week before a game saying, right, how am I going to prepare for this game? But then you've got specific challenges for each match, you know. Is this going to be a game where the scrum is going to be a huge contest? Do I need to spend extra time preparing on that, looking at previous games to see what scrums look like in a good position, in a bad position? Or, you know, if this is going to be more of a box-kicking game, you know, do we then have to just consider our positioning around does the AR need to drop to make sure that the winger's onside from a box kick? Do we um, have a lot more line-out to more kind of competition? So you, you get to know what teams are looking for. You speak to the coaches, you know what areas that they'll, they'll look to kind of use to their advantage. So you adapt to each game. Um, you know, but most of my, my work in a week is about making sure that myself and my team four, um, are on the same wavelength. It's, you know, and that's making sure, because I'm the professional, particularly in the Premiership, when the other, other three tend not to be, because you know, that reality of um, everyone else were having a proper job, and is that making sure that they have the ability to get up to speed with what I think the game might look like. And you just talked about Team of Four there. We've, we've spoken with Graham Hughes on the podcast before, and others about TMOing issues. Do you, do you think... The role of the TMO, we've sorted, we've got the TMO in the right place now. We're obviously 20 years into the TMO experiment and we're still going to have guaranteed issues where we're all discussing the role of the TMO as we look for Japan. What's your, what's your view on where we've got to? It's ever evolving as it will continue to be because um, rugby isn't black and white, it's not a precise science. Um, but it has to be right that um, the big decisions of the game um, are. We get the big decisions gained right by using technology. We can't just assume that a referee is going to get it on first glance and um, everyone else in the stadium can see it on a replay within three or four seconds, and yet the referee then can't get the right decision. I think we're a grown-up enough sport to say we need the right decision, we need to get the right decisions, and I think we're, we're getting better at that. We're getting closer at that. We've got four really experienced um, TMOs coming to, to the World Cup, two of which are are Englishmen, um, first time that they've ever taken two from one country, so that says a lot about the work that the RFU and the English uh, TMOs are doing at the moment. Um, I guess finally, uh, anyone listening to this will have followed your career, will be looking, I guess, for the next couple of years and perhaps have, have thought about refereeing. What do you think, what's the best advice you would give to anyone out there considering taking refereeing? Um, I think there's a couple of things, isn't there? I, I, you know, you take my, my career over the last, well, 2006, um, when I refereed my first international, which was in Fiji versus Samoa, which was, you know, isn't a bad place, you know, quite a little affair, as you can imagine, um, to start. But um, since that, you know, that international, I, I've refereed on every continent in the world, apart from Antarctica. I think that's still, still, still a chance. Still a chance to do that. Um, but, um, you know, I've travelled a lot, but I've made... I've, been in some fantastic, you know, games and some fantastic kind of environments. The Premiership final in June of first. What a game that was! Everyone remember that. You know, I had a, I was part of that. You know, I, I, I added some value to that game. You know, the last World Cup, I, I walked from my house um, in Twickenham to referee the quarterfinal and semi-final of a World Cup. You know, with friends um, standing around me. You know, and I've made some wonderful friends. And you know, over the next 10, 15 years, when my career has ended, I'll still be catching up with those across the world. So, 
Um, it's not a bad little job. Happy days. Well, hopefully someone out there listening to the podcast will be uh, hot on the heels telling a similar story in, in 20 years' time. <laughs> Wayne Barnes, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Advantage Over podcast from RugbyReferee.net. We hope you've enjoyed the content that we brought to you this week. What we'd really appreciate is your likes, rates and reviews, wherever it is you found it, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or TuneIn. Please head over there and leave us a review. We really do appreciate those. Um, we'd also um, ask you to tell your referee colleagues, friends, community um, that about this podcast this is the only rugby referee podcast out there, um, so we hope to get to more earbuds um, over time. We'd also love your feedback um, and your suggestions and your comments, so please let us have them. Um, you can either email us at ref at advantageoverpodcast.com um, or you can find us through the rugbyreferee.net website um, or through Twitter at rugbyrefereenet, which is the same handle you'll find on Instagram as well. We're in all those places, so please do let us know what you think, let us know what you want, um, and how we can help you become better referees in the future. So for now, that is Advantage Over. <laughs>